Yes, I vote because I feel like as an African-American female, like I want my voice to be heard. And um, conservative values. So I vote very conservative, so I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints. Oh, I don't vote anymore now. Why not? Um, just because I don't. Um, I vote because it is our right to vote, and I take it seriously. Welcome to San Diego Decides, Voice of San Diego's Elections Podcast. I'm Sarah Libby. And I'm Jesse Marks. Okay, so it's less than two weeks until California's primary. It's coming up so fast. Hey! Hey, hello. It might feel like it kind of snuck up on you. That's because it did, essentially. Um, this is the first primary since California moved up its election so that it could have more of a say in deciding presidential nominees. Seems like that's going to work out. It It's, yeah, it's a good idea to do it on Super Tuesday, right? Yeah. So if you haven't had a chance to sit down and learn about the measures on your primary ballot, I've got really good news for you, which is there are a lot less of them than there normally are. There were like 20 in 2016. Yeah, there's been like 30 each year. Um, but some group asked me to come speak about the state ballot measures, I think assuming there would be 30 of them to learn about. And I was like, I'm happy to do that. But you do know there's just one. <laughs> I'm going to talk for a whole hour on yeah. one. So we're going to go through that one statewide proposition on your ballot to learn about, as well as some of the local measures facing San Diego County and city voters. So in total, there are four ballot measures that you're going to weigh in on if you live in the city of San Diego. And that includes two countywide measures as well as two citywide measures. So if you live in another city in San Diego County, you'll be voting on those two countywide measures we're going to go over. And depending on where you live, you might also be weighing in on school bonds or marijuana access or various other ones. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, like I said, we're starting with the only statewide proposition on your ballot. When you hear the word proposition, handy little cheat for you, that refers to statewide ballot measures that everyone in California is weighing in on. And when you hear measure, those are county or city things that only that small group of residents are weighing in on. So probably the most confusing thing about the statewide measure is its name, which is Prop 13. Um, This is not that Prop 13. I kind of think they should make it like a jersey and hang it up in the rafters of the Capitol and retire (laughs) Prop 13 and Prop 8 probably (laughs) so that people don't get confused. This Prop 13 is not all that controversial. It's a school construction bond. Specifically, it would bring in $15 billion. Um, and that breaks down to $9 billion for preschool and K-12 through public schools and $6 billion for public universities and community colleges. And that would further break down to $740 million a year per year for 35 years. It's a lot. It's a lot of money. So you might remember, or if you don't remember, that's fine. We remember these things for you. Uh, that California passed a different school construction bond back in 2016. And at that time, Governor Jerry Brown was actually opposed to it because he said that the way that the funding was doled out meant that the money was likely to go more toward wealthy schools that probably needed it the least. And we ended up tallying the numbers here in San Diego County, and it turns out he was right. Um, The money so far has gone mostly to schools in wealthy areas um, and less so in lower-income schools and areas that serve more vulnerable students. 
And it was like 81% of Yeah, it was a money. big, big disparity. Um, so another really interesting finding from that research we did is that a good chunk of the money actually went to reimburse schools for projects that were finished before the bond was even approved. So you're going to see a lot of stuff on your ballot about all the new things that this bond could build. And that might be true, but it also could definitely go to pay back projects that have already been built. So there's that to consider. Um, but when the legislature put this measure on the bond, it did try to address that critique of Jerry Brown's about the funding disparities. So this new bond does prioritize districts that serve low-income communities and have higher populations of vulnerable students. It also prioritizes projects that have what are called project labor agreements, which are basically union-friendly construction deals. Because there's a guarantee that you have to hire union workers, right? Yes, so because of some of those changes, supporters now include Governor Gavin Newsom and the California Democratic Party. And obviously, teachers unions and construction unions are big fans. Shocking. Yeah. Um, so there's not a ton of opposition to this one, but it does look like the major opponent is the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, which is a group that opposes most bonds and, yeah. and most tax measures. They just slap their name onto the opposition of all of these, basically. That's what they do. Um I, as a reporter, I typically call them up whenever there's a bond measure coming yeah. up because I know exactly what they're That's why say. they exist. <laughs> um, so the head of that group has argued that it's not responsible to be taking on more and more debt since we're bound to have an economic downturn eventually. He's also argued that because the bond gives special consideration to projects that have a project labor agreement, that's the union-friendly contract we mentioned a second ago, it would be limiting competition. So not to totally confuse this issue anymore, Sarah, but the Howard Jarvis, who's the namesake of that organization was actually the primary force behind the original Prop 13. So there is some synergy there. It's just a fun in fact. Props 13. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's come full circle. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the countywide initiatives, I should say. Uh, measure A is the first one. Um, this is arguably the most contentious of the local ballot measures, and it's created some strange tensions and alliances. Yeah, it's been very weird to see people be on the same side of certain issues. So Measure A would require countywide voter approval for general plan amendments that increase density for property designated as rural or semi-rural. So what does that mean? That means that the county has a general plan, and that's basically a blueprint showing where it wants growth and where it wants new housing to go and where it doesn't necessarily want those things. So if you want to build a new project in an area where the plan currently doesn't allow it, you have to get special permission from the County Board of Supervisors. So this measure, Measure A, would change that process. Instead of the decision being made by the elected officials on the Board of Supervisors, those general plan amendments would have to be approved by a countywide vote of the people. So in other words, a yes vote on Measure A means that you want to have a direct say in these housing plans in the future. So why do supporters say that's a good idea? Well, they point back to the general plan that I mentioned a second ago. So the county spelled out where they wanted growth to go. So if you're trying to get around that document and build sprawl, which is basically housing developments that are far from jobs, from transit and infrastructure, you should have to get buy-in from county voters. That's the argument, right? So Measure A supporters also note that many of the projects trying to get a special exemption from the general plan are in areas at high risk of wildfires. So those projects could have a high bar to clear before they actually get approved. But on a more basic level, the argument from supporters of Measure A is that it's just not right and it's short-sighted to let developers buy land cheap, 
lobby officials to rezone it, and then make millions of dollars while contributing to sprawl. So some of the notable supporters on this one we should note include the Climate Action Campaign, the Sierra Club, the League of Women Voters, San Diego City Councilwoman Georgette Gomez, as well as Escondido Mayor Paul McNamara. Okay, so the people who oppose Measure A kind of break into two camps or have two different approaches to why they oppose it. One is procedural and one is sort of on the merits and more substantive. The procedural argument is people don't like this idea of what they call ballot box planning, meaning that these aren't really issues that should be decided by voters. I know it might sound kind of strange to say that. Um, For one, it doesn't necessarily make sense for voters in Chula Vista to be weighing in on a project in Oceanside And a lot of these projects are really complicated and complex, so voters might not be studying all them closely. And we elect the Board of Supervisors to do exactly this job. They have staffs and access to resources to really weigh and vet these things, and we elect them to do that. So that's one argument. And then there are the more substantive arguments about what it would actually do. And people say, you know, we shouldn't be adding more barriers to building new housing when we're in the midst of a housing crisis. And a lot of people, particularly within the Democratic Party, have expressed concerns about gentrification um, and that by constraining the development of multifamily housing in in particular, it could impact communities of color the hardest. Um, So opponents include, like we said, some strange uh, allies, including the San Diego County Democratic Party and the San Diego County Republican Party. Look at that. Uh, San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, the Chamber of Commerce, and the San Diego Housing Federation. So I remember when we asked Nathan Fletcher, the County Board of Supervisors, about this, his argument was like, just trust me. Like, just trust me to make the decision. It makes sense that... Somebody on the board of supervisors thinks the board of supervisors is <laughs> wise and can handle these issues appropriately. Amazing. Okay. We're moving on to measure B. Measure A was about whether voters should have to approve general plan amendments, and measure B is one of those general plan amendments. So this amendment would allow a development called Newland Sierra. It's kind of uh, north of ocean or north of Escondido, west of the 15, east of Oceanside in that little triangle of an area. Um, and the project includes more than 2,100 homes, a school site, 81,000 square feet of retail, 36 acres of parks and about 1,200 acres of open space. And the Board of Supervisors actually did weigh in on this one, just like the current process uh, calls for them to. They approved it in 2018, but opponents forced it to a referendum vote, which is what people are weighing in on with Measure B uh, by collecting enough signatures. So the current plan allows for only 99 homes on this land. So this is a significantly larger amount of homes. And supporters say that the land is going to be developed anyway, regardless of whether this measure passes. And this measure is the best way to ensure that whatever gets developed there includes housing for a mix of income levels. And they really desperately want you to know that the opposition has been bankrolled by the Golden Door Spa, which is nearby and, you know, doesn't really want to see this development take shape. Um Measure B has the support of the Chamber of Commerce, as well as the mayors of many of the cities nearby, including Oceanside, San Marcos, Carlsbad, and Escondido. 
They love to point out that Golden Door costs like $10,000 a week. Yeah, that's their favorite. <laughs> um, and I think that's because the the opponents of Measure B have pointed out or they've argued that the homes wouldn't actually be affordable. Uh, but in response to that, the backers of Measure B a couple of weeks ago filed what's called a Declaration of Workforce Affordable Housing Development, which is a really jargony way of just saying they're promising to keep some of the units affordably priced. However... The opponents of Measure B have responded and argued that that document is not legally enforceable, or even if it is, it would actually require people to sue to enforce it. So it's going to be an interesting issue to watch going forward. Yes. The larger contention among the opponents of Measure B was that developers could have done all of this up front. They could have written an affordable housing commitment into the project approvals in the beginning, but they chose not to. So the major notable opponents for this one include the San Diego County Democratic Party and the League of Women Voters. And again, much of the opposition for this one is coming from the Golden Door spot. Okay, so let's move on to Measure C. This is the first of the the city ones that we're going to get to in San Diego. Measure C increases hotel room taxes to pay for a convention center expansion, as well as homeless services and road repairs. The current hotel tax is 10.5%. So if this measure passes, that rate would go up by another 1.25% to 3.25%, depending on how close the hotel actually is to the convention center. So in the first five years of the measure, 59% of the money is supposed to go towards the convention center expansion, and the other 41 would go towards homeless services. That's what they've written into it. After five years, 59% continues to go to the convention center, but 31% goes towards homeless services and 10% goes towards road repairs. So the measure gives the city the okay to essentially issue bonds in all three of these categories, but it does not dictate how the homelessness funds should be spent. This measure requires the approval of two-thirds of the voters, so keep that in mind. That's going to be important to watch. And the case for it is essentially this. Tourists pay for it, not residents of San Diego. It could help keep conventions in town. It would create new jobs and bring in guaranteed revenue streams to fund homeless services and road repairs. And the biggest supporters of this are Mayor Kevin Faulkner. You've also got Representative Scott Peters, Assemblyman Todd Gloria, Senate President Tony Atkins, Scott Sherman, the city council member, as well as a bunch of labor groups. You forgot um, the very compelling argument that Kevin Faulkner made for it, Mm -hmm. which is that if this measure passes, you don't have to hear them talk about expanding the convention center anymore, which again, I've found to be probably the best argument I've heard for this. It's it's an incredibly potent argument. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about some of the arguments against Measure C. Um, Some of the biggest ones are that it doesn't have any limit on administrative costs. Some uh, projects with bonds do write into the project that there's a cap, say 5% or something on administrative costs. This one doesn't have that. Um, They also argue that the convention center expansion costs could go up significantly more than the current estimates show. And the city actually doesn't even control the land where the expansion is supposed to go. So they'd have to iron that out. And then when it comes to the homelessness money, um, you know, the supporters of the measure say it's it's by design that there aren't specifics about how that money is going to be spent. But opponents say that, you know, that really hampers accountability and who knows what it's going to go to. Um, there's also the fact that a voter approved measure in 2016 required important ballot measures to go on the ballot in November when the most people would weigh in on them. 
Um, but backers of the measure instead put this one on the March ballot, even though they insist that it is very important and even the mayor's biggest priority. And some of them also advocated for that change to put ballot measures mm-hmm. on the November. Well, here we are. Mm-hmm. So the primary opponent of the measure is Michael McConnell, who is a big homeless advocate in town. All right, we're doing this. We're almost, we're almost there. Okay, so Measure D is probably the least well-known measure on the ballot, and I think that's because this just isn't a very controversial issue and it doesn't have any uh, major opposition that's formed. So this one would amend the city charter to let the city council, instead of the mayor, appoint the city auditor. And it would include a few more changes, um, including limiting the auditor to two five-year terms instead of these big, long 10-year terms. Uh, It was proposed by Councilman Scott Sherman, who is running for mayor, and he argues that there's an obvious conflict in letting the mayor appoint somebody who would then investigate the city that the mayor runs. Um, Supporters include, obviously, Scott Sherman himself um, and also Councilwoman Jen Campbell, who's a Democrat, so it's got kind of support on both sides of the aisle. Again, there's no registered opposition for this one. I can't even imagine what the opposition would be potentially to this one. You know, when I was talking to a group of lawyers about this, they said um, it wasn't opposition, but they many of them work within the city and said, uh, trust me, there's no loyalty to the mayor within the auditor's office. You know, he, the mayor's office gets audited just as strongly as everyone else. So they didn't necessarily buy into the premise. Um, but that said, that didn't mean they were necessarily opposed to it. Yeah, and I, so I remember the, that this came up about a year ago when um, Mayor Kevin Faulkner decided not to reappoint then-auditor Eduardo Luna to mm-hmm. a second 10-year term, and instead he launched a, na- a nationwide search for a replacement, but that effort ultimately concluded with him nominating somebody who already worked within the city. It's so weird how those nationwide searches always end up with somebody within the department getting promoted. Always. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so Luna wound up actually resigning shortly after that, and it, it should be noted um, – uh, to, to the point you made earlier, which is that he's he's obviously quarreled with top city officials for the obvious reason that he's in a role of of being a watchdog. So Sherman decided the process needed to be firm reformed. So that's why we're here. All right. Well, that's it. All right. Thanks for listening to San Diego Decides from Voice of San Diego. And if you want to keep up with all of our election coverage, the easiest way to do that is with our daily newsletter, The Morning Report. You can get that at vosd.org slash morning. I'm Sarah Libby, the managing editor, Jesse Marks' associate editor, and this show is produced by Nate John. We're recording in the Voice of San Diego podcast studio sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.